Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our The Time Is Now series, which walks through the book of Nehemiah. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Today, but Nehemiah chapter number three, Nehemiah chapter three this morning. As we start, I just want to say every single person, Every single one of us has had a time in our life when we have felt overlooked and unimportant. And every one of us, whether it was on the playground when you were the last kid picked for dodgeball, or it was at the workplace when you seemingly have been overlooked for the promotion year after year after year. The truth is that wherever we're at in life, we all have stories of feeling overlooked and and unimportant. And really, it starts at a young age. It starts at a young age feeling overlooked and unimportant. You, if you have kids, every one of us have the story with our kids of us in a conversation. Maybe Hannah and I are sitting at home like we were the other day and and talking. And of course, you know that we have our uh, two nephews and niece living with us and little Asher. He's two years old. And as Hannah and I were talking, Asher was sitting on my lap and every time I would talk, I'm not exaggerating, every time I would talk while he was sitting on my lap that night, he would grab my face and he would turn my face towards his face and then he would put his hand over my mouth <laughs> and then he would start talking, you know, and just start babbling. And we all know the stories. I remember when our kids were little, they would come in the room and, and, and you have them too. You have the stories too because you'd be in the middle of a conversation and you'd be sitting in the living room and you're about maybe five feet apart. And little junior, little juniorette, they come in, and what do they do? Right, right in between you and your spouse, they start dancing and twirling and spinning and and yelling and talking. And hey, have I told you my new joke? Hey, and they're what are they trying to do? Man, they're just trying to get your attention. And every kid, every adult, every single one of us, we can go through life feeling overlooked and unimportant. But I want to bring out a very simple, very simple thought this morning. With God, with God, you are never overlooked and you are never unimportant. With God, everything you do in life, he views. With God, everything you are, flaws, inadequacies, inabilities, accomplishments, Victories, defeats, everything you are is loved by God. You're important to him. And I want us to be challenged this morning to understand that this world may overlook us. To people at times we may be unimportant, but to God we are never overlooked, we are never unimportant. And I want to say it this way, especially when we team up with him, especially when we say, God, I realize that I'm not overlooked by you. I'm not unimportant to you. And so, God, I'm giving my life for you to use. God, I realize that you love me and I want to love you back and I want to exemplify it with my life. This morning, as we come to Nehemiah chapter number three, we're going to come to a people who at the time, at the time of Nehemiah 3, they could, have looked, they could have thought, man, we're overlooked. 
We're unimportant. We are for, God has forgotten us, but what we're going to see and what they now know is that God doesn't overlook his people. His people are not unimportant to him, especially when we join up and begin serving him. As you find your place in Nehemiah 3 this morning, I just want to give us a quick recap. We've been out of our series. Of course, last week had Pastor Thomas Shepherd here. Wasn't that a great service last week? I hope that you were encouraged. I hope that you're still kind of living it out, man, this week of what God spoke to us about out of 1 Samuel chapter number 27. And I'm excited tonight. We're starting a series in 2 Samuel, and so we'll kind of tie right in to last Sunday morning's message. But we've been out of Nehemiah, and so just to kind of get us all on the same page, you'll recall the children of Israel at the time of the writing of the book of Nehemiah uh, and the time of the events that took place, the children of Israel, they've been in captivity for a number of years. As a matter of fact, over 70 years. They were first in captivity to the Assyrians, secondly to uh, Babylon. Babylon would, would conquer the Assyrians and take the children of Israel as well and then go in and conquest and conquer the land again. And then the Media Persian Empire would come on the scene. And you can go read the first few chapters of the book of Daniel and kind of catch the, the progression of the captivities that took place. And so if you were to go and read it, you would find that they're in captivity for about 70 years. At the end of the 70 years, there was a man who came on the scene who had the courage, uh, his name Zerubbabel, who had the courage to go uh, to the, uh, the ruler of the Media Persian Empire and begin to ask, hey, can we go back into our land? And uh, the ruler of the Media Persian Empire at the time said, sure. Sure, go ahead and go back. And as a matter of fact, there were three different groups of people who left captivity and went back into Jerusalem. Though the one that we're coming to is the third group of people. Nehemiah, the third group of people. And Nehemiah would lead a few people that would tra- I believe would travel with him and go back to uh, the home city of Jerusalem. Why would Nehemiah go back to Jerusalem? Well, Nehemiah chapter one shares with us the reason. The reason is because Hanani, Nehemiah's brother, had traveled to Jerusalem. He had traveled 850 miles east of Jerusalem to, or east of, excuse me, west of Susa, Shushan, 850 miles would be Jerusalem. And so Hanani traveled those 850 miles all the way back into Jerusalem. And then he would go all the way back to Shushan, the palace. This is where Nehemiah served as the king's cupbearer. Well, When he got back from his trip, you recall Nehemiah chapter one, where Nehemiah, he asked Hanani, hey, how are are our people doing? How's our city doing? And what's interesting about that is Nehemiah never lived in Jerusalem. He had never met most of the people that were there. He would know a few that maybe had left during captivity or had left from the captivity, but it really wasn't Nehemiah's home. It was the home of his fathers, his heritage. He said, "How's how's our friends and family? How's our city. And Hannah and I shared with him, the people are in reproach. The people are greatly afflicted. And Nehemiah, the the city walls are broken down and the gates are destroyed. And when Nehemiah heard those truths, Nehemiah was burdened. He was heartbroken and burdened for the people of of Jerusalem and heartbroken because the walls were broken down. And uh, we, we made mention in that message that the book of Nehemiah, it's not about building walls. It's about people. 
It's about people and building people and seeing lives secured. Because Nehemiah, he wasn't just burdened about the walls. No, Nehemiah was burdened about the people who lived within, who lived within those walls. And he knew that if the walls are broken down, man, the people are going to continue to be in reproach and to be in affliction. And so Nehemiah developed this burden and he began to pray and seek God. And for four and a half months, he sought God. God, give me the wisdom. God, give me favor in the sight of, of this man, of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Give, give me wisdom. Give me favor in his sight. And the day came, Nehemiah chapter 2, where finally Nehemiah found grace in the sight of Cyrus. And Cyrus, the king, said unto him, uh, hey, what's, what's burdening you? What's going on in your heart? Nehemiah was fearful for his life because you weren't supposed to be sad as the king's cupbearer in the, in the presence of the king and yet Nehemiah was, and the king said to him, this is nothing more than sorrow of heart. Hey, there's something going on in your life. What are you, what are you burdened about? What are you burdened about, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah shared with him his burden. I, why wouldn't I be sorrowful? Why wouldn't I be sorrowed in my heart? Because my city's broken down. The people are in a great reproach and affliction, and the walls are, are destroyed. Man, the, the home of my fathers is not what it should be. We are a reproach unto God because we're a reproach. Man, people are looking at us. The people are looking at Jerusalem and they're gaining an idea of who God is. And Nehemiah says, why shouldn't I be burdened? And the king says, all right, what are you gonna do about it? And Nehemiah says, you know what? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. I have a great idea. Would you give me money? Would you give me a utensil? Would you give me the, the tools that I need? Would you give me the equipment that I need? And then would you also, would you give me permission? Letters of permission, would you give me those so I could travel back to Jerusalem and help them build a wall? And Nehemiah chapter two, verse number eight, defines for us what Nehemiah said about the whole situation. He said, the king granted me according to the good hand of God upon me. The good hand of my God. You know what Nehemiah said? He said, man, God was all over this. And God worked and brought Nehemiah back to the land. And Nehemiah would go back into this land of Jerusalem. He began to scout the city and see what needed to be done. And then he went to the people and he shared his burden with the people. And here's what the people said. They said, after hearing the burden, after hearing what God had done, after hearing about all that had taken place, they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for this good work. That's where we ended two weeks ago. And today we're gonna come to Nehemiah chapter number three. And I'll, I'll be honest, if you read Nehemiah chapter number three in just a casual reading, you'll kind of be like, meh. Eh, that's, that's interesting. Where's Nehemiah chapter four? Because I don't know if you're like me, when I come to names in the Bible, you ever come to names in the Bible in your own maybe personal time with the Lord and you're reading, you come to names and you're just kind of thinking, you know, I think I'm gonna skip this chapter. <laughs> you know, I can't pronounce 90% of these names. I don't know them. They have no association with me. God, I know they're there. I'll just write, Lord, I know they're there. Move on to chapter four. But I want to tell you this morning that if you and I did that, if we skipped Nehemiah chapter number three, we would be doing ourselves a disservice because God put Nehemiah chapter number three in the word of God for a reason. And I love it. Here's what we're going to do this morning. It's going to be a little different. We're actually going to read the entire chapter. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's 32 verses. 
As I go, I promise you, I'm going to stumble over some names. As we travel through it, I promise you, you're gonna kind of, kind of zone out because it might be a little repetitive. But I wanna encourage you, don't tune out. Dial in this morning and recognize the truth that when you and I, when we are children of God, when we serve God, we are never overlooked. We are never unimportant. Nehemiah chapter three, beginning in verse number one. The word of God says this, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia. They sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And next unto, them, unto him builded the men of Jericho. And next unto them builded Zakur, the son of Imri. But the fish gate did the sons of Hassaneah build, which also laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof and locks thereof and bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz. And next unto them repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshez, you like that one? Meshezabel. And next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Baana, not banana, Baana. And next unto them, the Tekoites repaired, verse five, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Basodia. They laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranothanite, and the men of Gibeah and of Mizpah unto the throne of the governor on this side of the river. Next unto him repaired Uziel, the son of Harhiah of the goldsmiths. Next unto him also repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries. An apothecary would be a, a pharmacist or a doctor. And they fortified Jerusalem unto the broad wall. And next unto them repaired Rephaiah, the son of Hur, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. And next unto them repaired Jediah, the son of Harumaf. You like that name? Even over against his house. And next unto him repaired Hattush, the son of Hashab, Hashabniah. Malkijah, Malkijah, excuse me, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pehath Moab, repaired the other piece, and the tower of the furnaces, and next unto him repaired Shalem, the son of Halohesh, the ruler of half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. The valley, the valley gate repaired Hadun, and the inhabitants of Zenoah. They built it and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof and a thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. But the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of part of Beth Hakarem. He built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof and the bars thereof. But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalon, the son of Calhoza. The ruler of part of Mizpah, he built and covered it and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof and the wall of the pool of Siloa by the king's garden unto the stairs that go down from the city of David. And after him repaired Nehemiah, the son of Ezbuk, the ruler of the half part of Bethzur, unto the place over against the sepulchers of David and to the pool that was made and unto the house of the mighty. And after him repaired the Levites, Rahum, the son of Bani. Next unto him repaired Hashabiah, the ruler of the half part of Kila, in his part. After him repaired their brethren Bevei, the son of Henadad, the ruler of the half part of Kaliah. 
or Kyla, excuse me. And next unto him repaired Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the ruler of Mizpah. Another piece over against the going up of the, uh, to the armory at the, point, at the turning of the wall. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, earnestly repaired the other piece from the turning of the wall unto the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. And after him repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz, another piece from the door of the house of Eliashib, even unto the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him repaired the priests, the men of the plain. After him repaired Benjamin and Hashub over against their house. And after him repaired Azariah, the son of Maasai, the son of Ananiah, by his house. After him repaired Benuah. Or Benui, the son of Henadad, another piece from the house of Azariah to the turning of the wall, even unto the corner. Palal, the son of Uzziah, over against the turning of the wall and the tower which lieth from the king's high house that was by the court of the prison. After him, Padiah, the son of Parosh. Moreover, the Nethanims dwelt in Ophel unto the place over against the water gate toward the east and the tower that lieth out. And after them, the Tekoites repaired another piece over against the great tower that lieth out even unto the wall of Ophel. From above the horse gate repaired the priests, every one against his house. After them repaired Zadok, the son of Emer, over against his house. After him repaired Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. And after him repaired Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, another piece. Are you done yet? Are you tired yet? My mouth's dry. And after him repaired Mesholom, the son of Berechiah, over against his chamber. After him repaired Malchiah, the goldsmith's son, unto the place of the Nethanims and of the merchants over against the gate Mifkad and unto the going up of the corner. And between the going up of the corner unto the sheep gate repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. I need water. When I come to Nehemiah chapter number three, I read a lot of names. And to be honest, I read a lot of people. I read a lot of people who had feelings just like you and me. I read about a lot of people who had families just like you and me. Read a lot of people who had burdens and had frustrations and had heartaches. I read about a lot of people who also had responsibilities and had houses and had lands and had jobs. And this morning I read about a lot of people who could have, listen, they could have felt overlooked and unimportant. And yet as I read Nehemiah chapter number three, I find tonight that God recorded their names for us. They were not overlooked. They were not unimportant. And what they did, what they did, it mattered in eternity. So what did they do? They served God. They served God. And while I said it a minute ago, I'll repeat it very quickly this morning, that when you and I, when you and I, when we join up and when we serve God, we just kind of put an exclamation point on God saying, you're not overlooked and you're not unimportant. They served God by building a wall. We serve God by building his church. And I wanna talk with you this morning about the importance, the importance 
of being involved in the work of God. I'd like to pray with you and then we'll jump in the message today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take a moment and ask God to speak into your life? Would you take just a second, God, please speak to me today. God, please help me today. And then make a commitment, God, if you speak to my heart, I'm listening to you today. Dear Lord, I wanna come before you and thank you for the word of God. I love, I love your word and I'm so thankful that it's quick, that it's alive, that it helps us, that you use it to speak to us in every, every aspect of life. And Lord, I pray, I pray and I ask you, God, that you'd use these next few minutes together to speak to us. I pray, Father, that we would realize the great opportunity we have to use our life for you. I love you, God. I pray that if there's anyone that is here in church this morning or with us online that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day that they put their faith and their trust completely in you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love and pray that you'd speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you and I read this morning of people who were involved in God's work, they were involved again by, by building a wall. But tonight, this morning, I want us to see that you and I have a great opportunity of, of joining up with God on building something. It's not just a wall that surrounds a city. It is a, a church and a, a people that impact eternity. And this morning, there's a number of lessons that we can learn about being involved in serving the King of Kings. And from Nehemiah chapter number three, I want us to see that regardless of if we are a greeter or an usher, or if we are someone who is watching or teaching kids or teens, or if we're involved in in singing, or even if you're involved in just building a wall, there are some lessons that we can learn from these wall builders in our service today. And so I want this morning, I want us to notice how they served and learn of some ways that you and I should serve and how we should serve. I want us to look this morning from Nehemiah chapter number three at how they serve. First of all, they embraced the purpose. They embraced the purpose. Let me just say it plainly this morning. This wall and this book of Nehemiah It is completely about, don't miss it, don't miss it in the series. It is completely about the glory of God and the people of God. That's what the book of Nehemiah is about. It's not about bricklayers. It's not about coppersmiths. It's not about the apothecaries. It's not even about Nehemiah. It's not about preachers. It's not about revival. The book of Nehemiah is about God receiving glory through his people. That's what the book of Nehemiah is about. And in Nehemiah chapter number three, It's all about a group of people serving in one cause. We read through this that it could, reading through Nehemiah 3, it, it could seem as though the people were just seemingly unimportant and doing insignificant things. I mean, really, you and I read it, and it's like they repaired the doors, and they repaired the gate, and they repaired this, and they, from this place to this place, and from here to here, and this group was involved, and this family was involved, and these people weren't, and we can just kind of read through it. And they were given jobs where, where they lived. They were given various jobs. We see different people from all walks of life, goldsmiths, pharmacists, doctors, priests, leaders, rulers. And yet all of them are involved in building the wall. 
Well, what was the cause? What was the purpose that they embraced? Well, again, it was the people of God and the name of God. These people in Nehemiah chapter number three, they were not building a wall simply because there was nothing to do. They weren't building the wall because they had the time. They weren't building the wall because, well, you know, it's just one of those things. I guess, I guess I'll go ahead and just, you know, jump in a little bit. No, I want you to see what Nehemiah recorded for us in Nehemiah chapter two, verse number 18. It says B, but it's the whole verse. Nehemiah speaking. It says, then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, they said, this means in the Hebrew of the writing here, it was with one accord. It's with unity. They said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hand for this good work. Remember, Nehemiah was burdened about people. He was burdened about not a wall, but he was burdened about the people who lived within the wall. They were in affliction. They were in reproach. And these were God's people. And if they were looked upon in a negative way, that pointed to God in a negative way. And I want us to understand that Nehemiah knew if that wall stayed broken down, it was going to cause the people of God and God himself to be defamed. And so Nehemiah called the people together and he called them together for the purpose of glorifying God and helping the people. Oh, the task was building the wall. But the purpose was God's name and God's people. They embraced the cause. God's name was at stake and God's people were in need. And so they stepped up to serve. You know what God is looking for in his church, in his churches today? God is looking for people who will embrace the cause. People who don't see a job as little, but they see everything as valuable as it relates to the overall cause of the name of God and the people of God. You see, in our lives, the truth is that sometimes if we're not careful, we will get into our, our own little section of the wall. We'll get into our little, own little section of ministry. And we think that that should be the only important part. And maybe it could be Brian who uh, leads in the music of the church and tries to draw our hearts into worshiping God through music. Brian could come to the pastor and he could say, Pastor, I need more people in my music ministry. Uh, we need more people in the music ministry. And I'd say, well, Brian, uh, we've got a couple that signed up, but really a, a few signed up for kids ministry. He'd say, Pastor, forget the kids ministry. <laughs> Pastor Carlos can do it. He, he's, he's got it. I need people in the music ministry. My ministry, Pastor, my ministry sets the tone for the preaching. Pastor, you need to understand that the music doesn't go well. Pa Pastor, and if we're not careful, people in certain aspects of ministry could think my ministry is the cause. My portion of the wall. Listen, my, the, these bricks have to be built. If this doesn't get done, then I'm a fail. And we begin to look at our portion of the wall. And listen, we forget the cause. You want to know one of the greatest reasons you and I should be involved in serving God through his local church? It's the cause. 
What's the cause, pastor? It's his glory. It's his glory. It's his name. And it's helping his people. The truth is that every job within the local church must find its context in the big picture. And the big picture is the cause of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this morning that we have a lot of events going on at Moses Lake Baptist? Oh, we do. Listen, our staff sits down every week and just about every week we, I leave staff meeting thinking, we've got a lot going on. Maybe we need to get rid of something. We've got couples events, and we've got singles events, and we've got camp, and we've got junior camp, and we've got uh, Sign Me Up Sunday, and we've got Anniversary Sunday coming up, and we've got different things. We've got different things happening all of the time. There's things happening, but can I tell you tonight? The events are not the purpose. Right now, right now, right now, there is a preschool class going on. There is a clubhouse kids class going on. There is a nursery taking place. There's live stream running. There are people in the sound. There's people on the camera. There are people uh, going to be checking security. There's, listen, there, there are, are running security around the parking lot. There's a lot taking place while we sit in here and enjoy a service. But those little things are not the purpose. I'm a preacher. I love preaching. I'm a pastor. I love being a pastor. I love investing my life into people. But preaching is not the purpose. You know what the purpose is? It's the name of Jesus Christ. The cause is Jesus. And if we're not careful, we will forget the cause. There's an old story of an old fire chief who was training new members of the fire crew. And these new members of the fire crew, he, he set them down. He said, okay, all right, you are firefighters. You're here at the firehouse. And I want you to remember your job. All right, you ready? Remember your job. Remember your job. Uh, Hannah, you, uh, you grease the pole. Uh, you watch the dog. You watch the dog and, and watch the dog. Uh, Veronica, you're gonna, you're gonna make sure you mop the floors. Okay, remember it, remember it. You're gonna mop the floors. Uh, Miss Janet, you're gonna answer the phones. Leo, you're going to cook. No, you're not going to cook. Lorinda, you're going to cook. Lorinda, you're the cook. And Leo, you're going to wash the fire truck. Okay, you're going to wash the fire truck. Now remember your job. Remember it. What's your job? 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 You're all wrong. Your job is your firefighters. Your job is you're a firefighter. Your job is to serve people. Your job is to protect our community. Your job is to respond and run into conflict. Your job is you're a firefighter. And if we're not careful, we can think, I do music. I do nursery. I do cleaning. Oh, I do, I do outreach. Oh, I do baking. No, 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 no. That's your task. Your job is to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. You know what they did? They embraced the purpose. I hope this morning that we would say, man, God, I want to embrace the purpose. 
I wanna join up, why? Because I, I see the need to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. I see, first of all, they embraced the purpose. Secondly, today, I see that they exemplified the right spirit. They exemplified the, the right spirit. As you come to Nehemiah chapter three, throughout the entire passage, we see many examples of the right spirit in service on display. In Nehemiah chapter number three, we read about a lot. We read about a lot of division. Say, what do you mean division? We read about a lot of people in a lot of places doing a lot of jobs. But throughout all, throughout it all, throughout it all, say that five times fast. Throughout it all, some of you are practicing now, aren't you? You know what they had? They had the spirit of unity. Man, throughout it all, they had the spirit of unity. Remember what they said back in verse number 18, let us rise up and build. The people said, hey, we are going to do this. This was something that the people wanted to do. They didn't waste time. Verse number one, they literally just got the materials they needed and they got to work and they decided, hey, let's serve God together. And this is something that we need to know today. God blesses unity. God, he blesses oneness. Did you know this is something that Jesus prayed? He prayed that you and I would have oneness. John chapter 17, this is the actual Lord's prayer, not Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is the model prayer. We heard that on Thursday in our uh, Strength for the Day podcast and, and the Facebook broadcast. This is the Lord's prayer in John 17. Notice a portion of it. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you and for me? Notice what it says. Jesus says, neither pray I for these alone, speaking of praying for his disciples then, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. That they may be as one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be as one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, and that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. You know, Jesus prayed for, he prayed for unity. You say, well, what can we be unified upon? I'm just gonna throw it out right now and you need to know it. We're unified upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the death, burial, and resurrection unifies. It brings unity. The ground is level at the cross. And it brings unity. And Jesus said, I'm praying that they would have unity just like you and I have unity. And the cause of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, it unifies us and that unity should bring a oneness that says we are all in. All of us, all in. It brings unity. We should be united in reaching others with the gospel. We should be united in our worship. We should be united in our tithing and our giving. We should be united in our service. We, there should be unity within God's people. And I see that they exemplified the spirit of unity. Notice, secondly, they exemplified the spirit of flexibility. The spirit of flexibility. I'll be honest with you this morning, I'm not very flexible. Matter of fact, I could probably barely touch my toes. Those of you that are, <clears throat> I'm picking words, give me a second. 
those of you that are more seasoned, that's good. You've spoken before to say, man, pastor, my, my dad does it all the time. He goes, man, son, I hurt today. And he's not complaining. He's just stating a fact. I hurt today. I'm like, oh yeah, where? He's like, I could probably name to you where I don't hurt faster than I could name to you where I hurt because it's about everywhere. The truth is, as you get older, you become less flexible. Some of you here would say, man, when I was, when I was young, I could fill in the blank. Man, when I was young, I could. I remember I was in uh, ninth grade. I was singing on a group for a school. We travel around and singing things and uh, I was trying to impress. I was the ninth grader. There's only two ninth graders on the entire group. And uh, normally ninth graders didn't make the group, so I was kind of, you know, proud of this. And in my own pride, my own arrogance, I was trying to impress all of the juniors and seniors. And I was trying to impress them of how flexible I was. You say, you were flexible? I was decently flexible, I thought. And so in eighth grade, seventh and eighth grade, I, as a young man, I could still almost do the splits. I could go, I'm not gonna do it right now, don't even prepare. I could slide down and and do the splits. Well, here I am in ninth grade, I'm like, I'm gonna impress them. They were talking about gymnastics and stuff. I was like, I never did gymnastics, but I could do the splits. Like, oh yeah, right, show us. So I did the splits. And I tore my pants. And I couldn't get up. And I realized that day, I'm not as cool as I thought I was. (laughs) And now that I'm getting older, and the kids are like, hey, dad, you know, the kids, especially right now, like, let's wrestle, let's do this. And after like three minutes of wrestling, I'm like, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm tapped out. I've pinned you. I've held you for a long time. They're like, yeah, right, I can get out of this. I'm like, no, you can't, but I'm done. I'm done. You know what? Physically, flexibility kind of decreases with age. And if we're not careful, that can happen spiritually. Spiritually, after we've known the Lord for a little bit of time, we kind of become stuck in our ways. You know? Well, no, that's, that's not my thing. Well, no, I can't do that. Well, no, that's, uh, that's my parking spot. Oh, no, 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 that's, that's my step. No, that's my chair. No, that's my spot. No, that's And if we're not careful, we don't become flexible. Can I encourage you this morning to embrace flexibility? Exemplify flexibility. Oh, I'm not talking about the splits. Please, please don't try that, okay? But flexibility spiritually. I see it in this, Nehemiah, and we'll just say it quickly. Nehemiah is filled with people who were not contractors. They were not wall builders. They were not engineers, and many of them not masons. And yet, what did they do? They had the spirit of flexibility. They said, hey, this may not be my, my normal job, but I'll be a part of this. And yet, we also see in the passage that God would use people and their gifts to accomplish the work that was at hand. And let me tell you tonight or this morning that we need to understand that when we embrace flexibility, it may mean that there are some times when I I do some things I don't want to do. I don't know any mom that's like, yeah, I spend every day with kids. Please put me in the nursery. You know, please put me in the nursery. Please. I'd like to change somebody else's dirty, uh, somebody else's baby's dirty diaper. I'd like to do that. Please put me in the nursery. Now, some of you have that gift of you love children and God bless you. 
But there's some of us that would say, well, that, that wouldn't be my, my first choice. But I should have a spirit that says, God, where do you wanna use me? God, what do you want? Spirit of flexibility. But here's the other cool thing. Most of the time, you know what God does? He places you in the church. He gives you opportunity to serve using your talents and your abilities. And there's some of you here, man, you guys, you're, you're like, and I'm not, I'm not meaning to embarrass anybody, but you're like Tom Loss. And you, you could literally create anything with your hands. Just a master craftsman. You know what you could do? Hey, I, hey, I could do that. Hey, I could help build something. Hey, Rob, I could help remodel the youth room. Hey, I could help next time you're throwing down carpet. Hey, I could help next time you, what are we doing? We're just using our talents and abilities to serve. Some of you are gifted in music. And yet, and yet you just, stand. And God's like, hey, you could be a part. Hey, you could embrace it. Others of you, Danny, don't. I pick on Danny because every ministry involvement Sunday for the last five years, Danny signs up for choir. And every ministry involvement Sunday for the last five years, we tell him no. I love you, Danny. Uh, you know what? The truth is there are, there are ways that we can serve and God has gifted you and we should have that spirit of flexibility. And the thought, the thought is this, that the growing child of God should be flexible in the work of God and be flexible in the work of God. I see a spirit of unity. I see a spirit of flexibility. But lastly, looking at their spirit this morning, I see a spirit of humility. I see a spirit of humility. Oh, don't miss this today. I love it. I want, you to, I want you to just catch this, all right? I didn't put all these verses up on the screen, but I just want you to catch it. Verse number one, there's a high priest. Verse number eight, there's a goldsmith. Verse number nine, there is the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. Verse number 12, another ruler of the other half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. Verse number 15, there's the ruler of part of Mizpah. Verse number 16, the ruler of half part of Beth Zor. Verse number 17, the ruler of the half part of Kila. Verse number 18, um, Beviah, the son of Henadad, the ruler of the half part of Kila. Verse number 19, next unto him repaired Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the ruler of Mizpah. What, what a group of people, goldsmiths, apothecaries, priests, and rulers. And yet, what do we read about these people? They're all serving. This whole chapter, we read of people who were not only from different walks of life, but did you know in this chapter, there are people who were the very enemies of God? And yet now they're deemed as one of God's people because they've turned to God. We read of people who would have been businessmen working against each other. We read of rulers who would have been proud of their area and hey, 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 come build my area. And yet, what does this display for us? It shows us the spirit of humility. Man, they were all willing to serve. I, lo I love the ones that say a ruler. Like literally, that's, that's a, a, a ruler of an area, a leader of an area, a, a governor of the area. And yet, what are they doing? Hey, pass me that brick. Hey, give me some mortar. Hey, hey, hand me a wheelbarrow. Man, I love that. They were all from different walks of life and yet they served in humility. But all of it points back to the cause. Don't you see one more humble thing? Verse number 14, the dung gate. Now the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the part ruler of Beth Hakarim. He built it 
And he set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. You know what I love about this? He's a ruler and he's serving at the dung gate. You say, pastor, what's the dung gate? This is the trash gate. This is the city dump gate. That's what it is. All of the refuse and all of the trash and all of the nastiness of the city would be taken out this gate and disposed outside of the city walls, the dung gate. How would you like your name to be acquainted with the dung gate? And yet, Malchiah, the son of Rechab, he shared it. He did it. He dove in. He didn't care. He was a part. And he completed it. You know what I see there? I see humility. And in humility, they served. And what a great, great help to us this morning about the spirit of humility. In his church, there are no big jobs. In the church, there are no small jobs. There are no big people and small people. No, listen, don't miss it today. There is just God's people involved in God's cause, lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. And we are not too good for our task. There is no task beneath me as a Christian. And I, I don't mind being someone. You say, well, well, pastor, you're the pastor. You shouldn't clean bath. I don't care cleaning the bathroom. I'll, I'll clean a bathroom. I'm not trying to say, well, uh, uh, boost myself up. I'm saying we should have a spirit that says, you know what? There's not a job beneath me. Hey, can I make the coffee? Hey, can I come in and clean? Hey, can I be early and shovel the walks? Hey, what could I do to serve God? Why? The spirit of humility. It's not so that I can be the one that gets called out. Well, I want to recognize so-and-so. They volunteer all the time for everything. It's not so I can consume my time and, well, I'm just serving at the church. I just don't have time for work. I don't have time for my family. I don't have time for, no, no, no. These are people who had lives. And yet they realize the cause is important and I'm going to invest my life into something bigger than me. And they humbly served him. I see this morning that they embraced the cause. They exemplified the right spirit. Are you still with me this morning? Number three, notice this, that they emphasize things of importance. They emphasize things of importance. I'm going to be very quick on this thought today. But first, we find that they emphasized sanctification. They emphasize sanctification. Verse number one, I find it interesting. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, or with his brother and the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors, even unto the tower of Mia. They sanctified it and the tower of Hananiel. I don't think it's of a coincidence that Nehemiah chapter three and verse number one, remember, it's not verse divisions. They wouldn't have been broken up. Nehemiah would have just been writing one long account. And so he says in verse number 20, hey, we, got, we had opposition. I responded to the opposition and we got to work. And here's what we did. We sanctified the work. They set it apart. The word sanctify, it means to set apart. And we would know spiritually within the context of the passage, they're dedicating it to the Lord. That's what they did. They were saying, God, this is for you. God, this gate, God, this wall, God, this task, it is completely for you. They, they exemplified the this matter of importance, they said, you know what? We are going to emphasize something important. And what is it? It's sanctification. They emphasize sanctification. They emphasize detail. I won't be long. You look at it. They put detail into everything. They went through and they worked on the doors. Those are the gates. They worked on the locks. 
You can read through it, and they worked on small portions of the wall as well as large portions of the wall. They paid attention to measurements. They paid attention to how the wall would butt up next to someone's house that would be upon the wall or right at the wall, and they would make sure that there's no uh, openings within that area. There's not any extra gates. You can, and I, We don't have time to do it. I wish we did. You just go through the entire chapter, and you can see where literally the details are laid out for us in the pages of the Word of God that they emphasize something of importance, which was detail. You know, when you and I serve the Lord, we should pay attention to details. When I was on staff for my dad, one of the things that he would do with all of us staff guys, and I probably need to do it with our staff guys, but maybe I'll have you do it with them. He would bring us all into the auditorium and he'd sit us down on the front row and he'd say, all right, and it'd just be no one else around. He'd say, okay, find five things wrong with the platform. And we'd all look. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a dirt clod in the corner. And we, we'd like, what are you talking about? Find five, I, I don't see five things. Now all of you are gonna be like, all right, I'm finding five things wrong with the platform. Don't do it right now, wait till afterwards. I'll just give you five things to find. You know what he was trying to do when we were on staff? He's saying, hey, pay attention to detail. Pay attention to the small things. And at that church, he'd say, you see that? There's a wire hanging down over there. Hey, you see right over there, someone left last week's bulletin kind of right behind the speaker tucked away. Hey, hey, look over on the piano. You see over on the piano? There's some, there's some books out from choir practice last week. Those need to be put away. And my dad would go through and do that. Why? Because it's God's work. We should emphasize things of importance like detail. I'm not gonna tell you all the details, but there's a lot of them. And emphasize things of importance, sanctification, detail. I noticed they emphasize the spirit of zeal, the matter of importance of being zealous. If you look at this, verse number 20, after him, Baruch, the son of Zabiah, he earnestly repaired the other piece. You know what he did? He zealously got involved, earnestly repaired. He was excited about it. I don't know who's excited about building a wall, but he was excited about it. And I love that it's recorded for us. Nehemiah's like, hey, he earnestly repaired. He was zealous about it. The things of important sanctification, detail, zeal, they emphasized organization. Man, they were organized through the entire thing. They made sure that not only were the detailed covered, but they had organization of who was where and what was going on. And I'm so thankful for uh, the organization and those over it here at Moses Lake Baptist Church. Those things are things of importance. They had not only emphasized sanctification, detail, zeal, and organization, but also completion. You know what they did? They followed through. We're going to see it in just a few days, or excuse me, in a few messages in uh, chapter number uh, four or five. Let me look real quick and I'll tell you. Chapter number five, the end of chapter, nope, chapter six, where it gets concluded. In 52 days, they finish the job. Man, 52 days, they build the walls of the city and the gates of the city, and God uses them to accomplish some great things. And I just want to say very quickly that you and I need to understand that completing the work of God is important. And I'm not talking just about the small things, but the small things are important. I should make sure if I'm a cleaner that it's complete. I should make sure if I'm a musician that practices are happening. 
I should make sure that if I'm working in the nursery that, man, diapers are changed and things are getting done. You say, well, pastor, that's, that's just menial tasks. No, 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 no. Remember, that is a task, but the job, the important thing is glorifying the Lord. And so paying attention to complete things. You know what? They completed regardless of who got involved. We're gonna see in just a minute, not everybody was involved and yet they still completed it. I see this morning that you and I, we too should emphasize things of importance. They embraced the cause. They exemplified the right spirit. They emphasized things of importance. But notice today they experienced hurts. We are gonna see it in a few weeks, but they were ridiculed. They were made fun of. People tried to get them to stop doing what they were doing. But this morning, I want us to see some hurts that they experienced that I believe probably went deep. Like verse number five. It says, next unto them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. In this chapter, you have all these people recorded and their involvement recorded in one way or another, but then you read verse number five. Everybody got involved except for the nobles of the Tekoites. They did nothing. They put not their necks to the work of their Lord. You know what it says? Do you catch what, catch what it says there? The work of their Lord. They were followers of God. They were the people of God. And yet they didn't serve him. And now it's recorded in history, in the word of God that's gonna last forever. It's recorded the Tekoite nobles put not their necks. They didn't get involved. They missed out on what could have been. They missed out on the blessing of fellowship and serving the Lord. They missed out on the full experience that God had. They missed out on the full plan of God. They didn't allow the, the work to burden them in any sort of way, and they didn't get involved. Why? Because they really didn't care. They didn't embrace the purpose. They didn't care about everybody else's spirit. We also read in verse number 30, after him repaired Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaph. When it says sixth son, that means there were five other sons. Some scholars believe that this would lead to the thought that the five other sons, they didn't get involved, just the sixth son. And can I just point out today that there are going to be people that get involved and there are going to be people that don't. And the people that don't, sometimes that hurts because it might be your family. The husband wants to serve and the wife doesn't. The wife wants to serve and the husband doesn't. The parents want to serve and the kids don't. The kids want to serve, mom and dad don't. But can I tell you, regardless of who got involved, they got in, regardless of who got involved, the Tekoites, their nobles didn't get involved, but they still did. Verse number six, uh, this one, Hanun, the six of Zalaf, he got involved, even though his brothers didn't. Can I just say today, don't worry about who doesn't get involved. Hurts are gonna come. Things are gonna happen. But you and I can still serve. But I want us to notice lastly this morning that they were esteemed by God. They were esteemed by God. Here we have this account of the children of Israel, Nehemiah chapter number three, building Jerusalem. You know why God put it in here? So that you and I can know no one's ever overlooked and no one's ever unimportant. So that you and I could know, man, when we team up with him, we join up in something that literally could affect eternity. 
And here we're reading names because they simply got involved in serving the Lord. And because of that, they are listed here for everyone to read for all of eternity. They never again will be overlooked or made of little importance. God recorded their name, why? Because God keeps track. I love these verses, our theme verse from last year, 1 Corinthians 15, 15, 8, 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Ephesians 6, 8, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And I love the thought this morning. The thought is that when we serve God, God says, hey, I will put it on your account that you use your life for something greater than you. I wonder this week, I wonder this week, how will you serve God? Did you know there's more opportunities to serve God than just right here at church? Oh, like this week, you could carry a gospel track with you and tell somebody about Jesus. Hey, this week you could serve God by serving a neighbor. This week you could serve God by shoveling somebody else's walk. This week you can serve God by uh, maybe taking some, some cookies over to a neighbor or doing a grocery store run for someone. This week you could serve God here at the church through ministries. This week you could get involved and say, God, I want to use my life in something that is greater than me. I just want to ask you this morning, what are you going to do with your life? Who are you going to serve this week? With God, we are never overlooked. We are never unimportant. And when we serve him with our life, man, we are, using some, we are using our life for something that will outlast us. And so this morning, I want to encourage you with something. I encourage you with one simple phrase. Pick up a stone and serve. Man, get involved. Get involved. You say, I don't know how. Ask us, and I'll help you. You say, well, pastor, I can't sing. I'm not asking you to sing. What do you like to do? I like to talk to people. Great. That's awesome. We, God can use that. But today, don't sit on the sideline. This week, don't sit on the sideline. Ask God to show you. God, show me ways to serve. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, I'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.